Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be here in the book of Malachi here this morning. And uh, we've been... uh, start working our way through it here. And last week, I I gave you some introductory things about what was going on in Malachi's time, uh, what was happening, and why Malachi wrote what he wrote uh, to God's people. And remember, Malachi had had a very difficult message to give to God's people. We saw that in verse number one. He says the oracle, right? The burden that Malachi was going to be delivering, and it was a heavy burden uh, that uh, he was going to give to them. And if you remember, God's people had already returned back from exile, right? They were in uh, exile for 70 years. Uh, They have now come back. I think there was like about three different waves of the people coming back into Jerusalem, uh, being allowed to come back. Uh, They've rebuilt the walls. They've rebuilt the temple. They've reinstituted temple worship under Ezra and Nehemiah's uh, ministry, And here, uh, right before there's a period of like 400 silent years before there's no prophecy, there's no visions, there's no dreams, none of that, that 400 silent years, Malachi is kind of the last prophet, and he has a burden, something he's carrying very heavy to give to God's people. Why? Because the people, even though they had returned back from exile, even though they had the temple worship going on, even though they rebuilt the walls and everything, they were anticipating the glory of Israel to be restored. And it didn't happen. They were anticipating the Messiah to come. They were waiting for it. And it didn't happen. And so what ended up happening is their hearts grew cold to the Lord. Uh, They lost sight of what was important. And so Malachi now starts to deal with some some really heartfelt matters of how they were doing their worship, uh, what what they were doing as far as like how they were uh, conducting themselves uh, amongst uh, each other. And Malachi has some heavy uh, words uh, for for them. And so by Malachi's time, Israel had fallen into meaningless worship. And they were neglecting really the important things, and that was heartfelt worship to the Lord. Uh, It wasn't there. It was all outward. It was all external. It was, I'm going to praise God, I'm going to shout to God and everything, but there was no heart behind it. It was all external type stuff. Um, If you had asked, really, uh, if, if you were to go up to the people at this time and ask them how their relationship with the Lord was, I'm sure the response would have probably been, oh, it's fine. We're good. We're good. Everything's fine. I mean, look what we're doing. We got our temple back. We got our walls back. We got our sacrifices back. Everything's fine. But God said, no, it's not. That's why he sent Malachi to confront them of their meaningless worship uh, that they had going on. Um, God knew it wasn't... Uh, true. And he, in fact, he really, what he does is he exposes their indifference. And the verses that we're going to be looking at, verses one through five, really deal with their indifference that they had towards the Lord. And you'll see this as God, really, there's these questions that go through the book of Malachi and their response of how Israel responded to God. 
And basically they're like, hey, you know what? We're, we're doing, everything's fine. And God's like, no, no, it's not. It's not fine. Everything is not fine. And so God's going to expose their indifference uh, for everything that they have. And so really the message that Malachi brings is really a message of hope. And you'll see this, even though God deals with their sin and God deals with their indifference, it's a message of hope because I believe in our own lives as well, we can sometimes fall into this pattern of meaningless worship before the Lord, meaning we just do it because, right? And there's really no heart behind it. And oftentimes we lose, fat, the, the, we lose a focus of what's important, and that is to worship God, to serve God, to exalt Him. But what ends up happening is our circumstances happen, and we lose sight of what God is doing or what God has done. We even start to question whether or not God loves us. We start to question whether or not God is in control because everything that's going on. And that's what was happening in Malachi's day. And so God is going to deal with that. And so he gives them actually a message of hope because I believe we can reignite this passion for God if we just understand who God is, what he says, and that's what Malachi is doing. He's trying to help them understand who God is and what he's done. So this is what I want you to take away with you this morning. Hope is rooted in remembering God's love. Hope is rooted in remembering God's love. The people of Malachi needed a message of hope because they had grown cold to God and their indifference to God was showing and they needed hope. Malachi comes to bring them hope by rem reminding them of God's love. So I want, let's take a look at a few things here. Okay. Number one, I want you to see the hard truth is that we grow cold to God's love. Look what it says here, Malachi chapter 1, verse number 2. God starts this out. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Israel had grown cold to God's love. In the first opening words here, Malachi's message, the Lord tells him, hey, I love you. I have loved you. And the response, how? How have you loved us? What? Think about that. How have you loved us? Here is God's people that have seen the temple rebuilt. They've seen the walls rebuilt. They've been released from captivity. And they're going, how? How have you loved us? How have you shown love to us? They've grown cold to God's love. They were so focused on their problems that they were oblivious to God's great covenant love towards them. It's as if God says, I love you, and they respond, so what? And? It's the same thing that happens to us when we hear something about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that one before. We've grown cold to God's love. We've grown indifferent to God's love. How does that happen? Because we forget who God is. 
We forget his promises, what he says about who he is. How did they grow cold to God's love? Let me give you a couple things. Number one, they focused on their circumstances rather than God's purposes. You can't help but see this in their response. How have you loved us? What was the circumstances when Malachi was speaking here, uh, when he was speaking truth to them? Well, things were not going as they expected, so they grew discouraged. They had been back in the land now for probably about 125 years. The temple's been rebuilt, the walls have been rebuilt, worship's been reinstituted, but yet the glory of the Lord has not been restored. They, they don't see the Messiah who's been predicted. They ha, he hasn't come. And they're going, oh, well, this isn't working out the way that we thought it was going to work out. This is not happening the way that I thought it was going to happen. And now they've grown cold. There were only probably about 100,000 Jews back in the land at this time. They didn't have an army to protect themselves from hostile neighbors. They were still under the thumb of the Persian king and his appointed governor. Their farms were not producing well because of a drought, as it's revealed in Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. And many of them were probably thinking, and this is supposed to be the promised land? you got to be kidding me. This is, what we've, this is what we've come to now? I mean... We've been out of captivity, now we come back to these heaps and things have been rebuilt and restored, but yet it doesn't seem like God's doing anything. How have you loved us, is their response. In contrast to their difficult circumstances, they had the messages of the prophets. They all predicted a golden area for, for Israel when the land would yield abundant produce, the people would dwell securely under the reign of Messiah. And other nations would flock to Jerusalem as the center of the earth. This is all recorded for us in Isaiah 49, verses 19 through 23. Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 3. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. Ezekiel 25 through 30. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Zechariah chapter 12 uh, through 15. And uh, Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 through 23. But none of this was happening. They lost sight of it. Now think with me, think about the application here. When things are not going the way that we think that they should go, when things are not happening the way that we think that they should happen, when it seems like God's promises aren't being fulfilled the way that we think they should be fulfilled, what happens? We grow indifferent to God. Oh, we may not say, God, I don't really like what you're doing here. God, I don't think you're doing this. No, but our heart grows cold to the Lord. And that's exactly what was happening here in Malachi's day. How have you loved us? And so God says, I love you. Have a wonderful plan for your lives. And they say, come on. How does God love us? You got to be kidding me. Look at, look at this. Look, look around you. Look what we're dealing with here. And you love us? Pfft, yeah, right. I don't buy that for a moment. And they had grown indifferent. And so like Israel, we will grow indifferent to God's great love for us if we focus on our difficult circumstances rather than on God's purpose for his glory and our good. If we focus on our problems, they will consume us. If we think about God's purpose to extend his kingdom over all the earth and the fact that he has saved us to be a part of that great promise and purpose, we will gain the perspective that we need. 
And it's remembering that, yeah, God does and is doing things, even though that we may not think that he's doing the way that we should. Kind of like what Paul said, in spite of his many trials, could joyfully say that he lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved him and gave himself up for him, in Galatians 2.20. Here's a second reason why we grow cold to God's love and why they did, is they drifted into routine religion rather than a vital relationship with God. I believe it starts in our hearts, right? We start growing indifferent to God, and then we just kind of drift into routine religion. I draw this point really from the whole book, as said, uh, these people here, they, they turned defiantly against God. They were worshiping at the temple. They offered sacrifices. They went through all of the rituals prescribed by Moses, but they had drifted into routine religion instead of maintaining a vital relationship with God. And this is so easy for us to do as well. I mean, think about it. We gather here on Sunday mornings, but how prepared was your heart this morning to hear from God? How prepared are we to actually hear from the Lord? Now, I'm not the Lord, right? read scripture, we sing songs together. I mean, we're supposed to be here worshiping God together. But how prepared are we actually to do that? And so it's so easy for us to just fall into routine religion where it's just, well, we go to church, this is what we do, this is what we go home, we'd say this, we do that. Oh, Sunday's here again. We go to church, we do this, we do that, we do that. We have to make sure that we're maintaining a vital relationship with the Lord. And Malachi is trying to help them understand that. God is trying to help them understand that. They have drifted away from God. They have become indifferent towards God by saying, how have you loved us? How? They have forgotten all, everything about who God is and what he says. And they did that just by falling into this routine religion. There was no real vital relationship there. Their religious observance blinded them to their true condition So that when God confronted them through Malachi, they responded, how has God loved us? They were blinded because they were in routine religion. It's very easy to drift into a routine relationship with God. We do all all the things, but the passion is not there. Was there any hope for them? Is there any hope for us? Yes. God always offers hope, and what is the remedy? So this is the things that I believe that will help us Maintain that vital relationship with God, and it'll help us if if our heart has grown indifferent towards God, if our heart has grown far away from God, right? Malachi really helps us understand some things about how to get back on track here, okay? Here they are. Number two, hope is rooted in the promise of God's love. Look at God's opening statement to Israel, okay? I have loved you. God loves us. Does that move you? It should. Even though God has loved them, they had failed to show any appreciation for it or any response to it. When we truly think about God's love, it's a comforting, hope-filled thought. When Malachi declared this message, notice the skepticism from them. How have you loved us? I have loved you. Hmm. 
how have you loved us? Really? How? See the skepticism there? They're asking for God to convince them. For those of you that have children or have had children, you know, sometimes we tell our children some things, and when they start getting older, they start kind of asking the questions to try to inspect if really what you're saying is true. Are we really going to go roller skating tonight? Are we really going to do this? Are, did you re- are we really, like, they're asking, right, because there's skepticism there. And so here is God's people, and they're skeptical about his love. They're saying, God, you need to convince us. Convince me that you have loved me. Sometimes we forget, as like God's people did, what makes his love truly great is it's a promise. Let me give you a couple things to ponder about God's promise of his love. Number one, God never forgets his promises. Take notice of that phrase, I have loved you. Did you know the tense of the Hebrew verb there means I have loved you in the past and I will continue to love you? He says it wasn't just something that happened in the past. It's for even right now and it's continuing on. I have loved you. I will continue to love you. It doesn't matter how much time passes. It doesn't matter how little his people deserve it. And it doesn't even matter if his people forget it. When Israel forgot about God's love, God reminded them of his promise. And notice what he says here. He brings it up. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? And notice the promise that he brings up. It's not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Now, if you've been reading along in the Bible reading calendar, you would have read about the covenant promise that uh, God made if you've been keeping up with it here in Genesis, right? This last week, you read about that covenant promise, right, that he made with, with, uh, with Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob, right? God has faithfully kept his covenant promise. And God here now, thousands of years later, right, he's going, hey, remember that promise? Remember what I promised? He says, I keep my promises. They say, how have you loved us? I keep my promises, God says. And so 1,400 years later, God reminds them of this covenant promise that he has. In all of that time, God did not change. But you know who changed? God's people did. You know, I always find this very true, that God never changes, but we change. God always remains the same, but we don't. We're the ones that are always moving away from God. We're the ones always running away from God, but God doesn't. God remains the same always. He says, I change not. And so he says, I'm going to want you to remind you of the promise. What tempts you to forget the promises of God? I believe many times it's our circumstances. God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers. Your life isn't turning out the way that you thought it should. If we're going to renew our hope in God, if we are going to rekindle that passion for the Lord, then we need to remember that God is always faithful to his promises. 
And God was faithfully reminding his people of this. Here's the second thing. God never goes back on his promises. When God remembers his promises, he keeps them. God could have said that since he made that promise to Jacob so long ago and since all of this stuff transpired and all this stuff happened, he could have said, well, you know, things have changed, guys. You weren't faithful. And so, therefore, I'm not going to be faithful. But God keeps his promises. He keeps that covenant promise that he made with Jacob. God's promises aren't coupons. They don't have expiration dates. You know, it's one of the worst things. It's like when you go someplace and you got that coupon and then like you go to pay and you pull it out and they go, oh, this is expired. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> right? God's promises don't expire. They don't have expiration dates on them. It's not going to sour like the milk that's probably sitting in your fridge. Right? <laughs> they always remain the same. Notice the end of verses 2 through 5 here. I love this, right? He talks about, um, he says, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And now he starts reminding them of their promises. I have laid waste his hill country, left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. He says, your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. And so we'll, we'll take a little, little, uh, little time, we'll look at those a little bit more carefully, but God is saying, I keep my promises always. God's promises endure. They last through every stage of life, though the good, through the good times and the bad times. They are as unchangeable as God himself, and you can trust him to be the same for you now and always. He has promised for it to be so, and he never lies. What are some specific promises from Scripture that you can cling to? Are there some promises of God's, of God's word that has helped you respond to your circumstances? Do you know what one of the most difficult challenges of the Christian life is? It's to remember God's love. And I think that's evident because here at the very beginning, that's what God has to remind his people about. Oh, he talks about other things. But the very first thing he talks to them and deals with them is their love for him. They have forgotten about God's love. It's almost become non-existent in their life. How have you loved us, they say. Here's the third thing. If we want to renew that passion, if we want to reignite our love for God, hope is rooted in God's sovereign choice. Now, what do we mean by sovereign choice? God is the supreme ruler over all, and he makes decisions for his own glory without your input or approval. God is the sovereign ruler, and he makes choices about what he wants to do for his own glory without your input or your approval. Now, some of these verses that we're going to look at may seem a little unsettling because we look at them and we say, that's not fair. But we have to remember 
that God is the ruler of the universe and we are not. And what he always does is always in, for his own glory. It's in his own wisdom. It's for his own doing. And his ways, that's what uh, the Bible tells us, are not our ways. As far as the highest from the heavens from the earth, right? So are his ways from our ways, right? He does it for his own purpose and his own glory. Now look what he says here. Israel's response to God's statement of his love was, how have you loved us? Had they forgotten that God's sovereignty rules? Yes, they did. Many times the reason why we also have grown cold to God's love is that we forget that God makes a sovereign choice or choices, or we may not agree with his choices. We say, that's not fair. Look what you've done. I don't agree with this. And God says, I'm going to do this, regardless of whether you like it or not. Okay? We must remember that God's love is not dependent on us. He doesn't love us because we're lovable, because the truth is, all of us at the very core of our hearts are rebels. And God's, God loves us not because we're lovable, God loves us because he is love. It's his character. And the things that he does are for his own purpose and own design, for his own choosing. It was Adam that rebelled in the garden and hid from God, but God sought him out. Did you, did you ever read in Genesis where Adam is the one looking for God? Nope. God was the one that sought Adam out. Isaiah reminds us that all of us are like sheep. We choose to stray away from God and go our own way. The Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. God doesn't love because we're good or bad or because we deserve his attention. The love God shows us is an extension of his character. God loves because he is loving, because he is a loving God. I want to give you two things to consider about how God's love is displayed in his sovereign choice here, especially here in this text. Number one, God's love is independent of human wisdom. Notice how God emphasizes his sovereign choice of his love. Look at verses two through four here. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? This is his response. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have what? Hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Again, if you've been reading in the, the Bible reading that we've been doing this past week, you would have read about Jacob and Esau, right? Two twin sons born to Isaac. Here they are, right? Two twin sons. 
You see that Esau was born first, and so in that day he laid claim to the heaviest responsibilities and the greatest blessings in the family. Esau was born first, so therefore he laid claim to the birthright. But what happened? Oh, Esau is out there, and he's been doing stuff, and he comes in, and there's Jacob. Boy, he's eating some, uh, uh, some soup, and Esau's like, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm about ready to die. Give me some of that. And he's like, okay, I will. Sell me your birthright. It says that Esau despised his birthright and gave it over to Jacob. Then later, what do we find? When Isaac is old and he's about ready to die, he wants to bless his son. Rebecca hears about this, and so she says, all right, Esau's gone out to get some venison to prepare it for your father. I'll tell you what, I'll make some tasty meat for him. We'll, we'll disguise you. We'll put some hairy stuff on you. And he he's, can't see really well. We'll disguise all that, and you'll trick him. And he ends up blessing Jacob. And it's really interesting, that story, when Esau comes in and he finds out what's happening. He goes to his father. He's like, is there not anything left for me? And he goes, nope, there's nothing left for you. I'm sorry. It's all gone now, right? And we think about that. We say, boy, okay, so Jacob then gets the blessing and everything. But did you know that God chose Jacob over Esau even before any of that ever happened? That's God's sovereign choice. And so we see that God says that I have a sovereign choice. God chose to extend the covenant he made with Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, not Esau, even before Esau ever sold his birthright and Jacob ever tricked Isaac into blessing him. It was through Jacob's descendants, not Esau's, that God built the nation of Israel and revealed his son, Jesus Christ. The, the descendants of Esau are the Edomites. And God says, hey, look. He says, they're going to try to do all this stuff. And he says, I will tear down everything they try to do. He says, my covenant is not with the, with the descendants of Esau, even though Esau was the firstborn. He says, I have chosen Jacob over Esau. Now, it's really important that we define these words loved and hated here, Okay. The Hebrew words for loved and hated don't refer to God's emotions, but to his choice of one over the other for a covenant relationship. To hate someone meant to reject him and to disavow a loving association with him. The words loved and hated refer to God's acts in history toward both of the two nations which descended from the two brothers. Even Jesus used the word hate with the basic meaning in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, where Christ said that if we don't hate our families, we can't be his disciples. So it has nothing to do with emotions, but it's saying, I am choosing one over the other. And in this case, what like Jesus was talking about, he's saying, you are choosing to follow me rather than the desires of and the whims of your family. He says, I am more important than your family. With Jacob and Esau, we know that the choice was made for Jacob even before the two boys were born. Let's look over at Genesis real quick. I want to show you this. Genesis chapter 25. Let's go over there really quick. Genesis 25. 
Now look at uh, verses 20 through, 22 through 23, because I want to show you that God made this sovereign choice even before anything happened. God already made that, that decision that the line was going to come through Jacob and not through Esau. So Genesis 25, and look at verses 22 through 23 here. So here is Rebekah, okay, she's with Isaac. It says, verse 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian of Padaram, the sister of Laban, the Armenian to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Verse 22, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, I don't know what it's like to be pregnant. Okay? And I don't even know what it's like to have two children struggling in the womb. But evidently, it was pretty serious enough that Rebecca felt it. And she's going, they're struggling in my womb. I'm going to go ask God what all this is about. So look what he says, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So think about that. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older, who is going to be the older? Esau, shall serve the younger, which is Jacob. So God said, this is what's going to happen. He had already planned it even before she gave birth. There was a sovereign choice made in all of this. And so I think it's important for us to remember that hope is rooted in God's sovereign choice. God's love is independent of human wisdom. God didn't check with Jacob and Esau before making his decision. The best of human wisdom couldn't have predicted which man would be a better choice for founding the nation of Israel. God graciously chose Jacob to showcase his glory and not Esau. Now here's the big question, why? Do you have an answer? I surely don't. That's why God is God and we are not. That's why it helps us to put these things into perspective to remember that God's in control and we are not. And God's love is independent of our own human understanding and reasoning. And when we come to grips with that and we realize that God loves us even though that we are rebels, God cares for us even though that we sin against him time and time and time and time over and over and over and over and over again, he still loves us. He still shows grace to us and mercy towards us. Not because we're good, not because we're lovable, not because we deserve it, but because he is God. It does something for us. Because if we ever start thinking that we deserve God's love because of something that we've done, that's, I believe, dangerous ground. 
Because we start drifting into this whole thing, I'm holier than thou, I deserve it, I deserve this, I deserve that, look at me, look what I do. That's not the way it works. God makes sovereign choices not based upon our own human reasoning. And so the point that Malachi was making to his audience was that their existence as the people of God was the clearest evidence of the love of God on any nation. Here's the second thing about God's sovereign choice. God's love is independent of human works. If God's love doesn't match the way that we think, neither does it depend on what we do. When God decided to use one brother over the other, he didn't compare their character. Think about these people's character. You have Esau, who is a hairy buffoon. I mean, did you read what he did to his parents? Did you read what what it says that he caused his parents grief? And then here's Jacob, who's nothing but a liar and a cheat. Neither one of them had anything good to offer God. But yet God still chose Jacob over Esau. Why? Because God is God and we are not. And God's love is not dependent upon our human works. This is why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is so important, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved. If you know Christ is your Savior, we are saved all because of God. God has extended his mercy and grace to us through his son, Jesus. We don't deserve any of it. What do we have to offer God? I mean, think about all the, all the greatest things that you could ever do in your entire life. Do they even compare to the righteousness of Christ? Nope. Isaiah says that all of our righteousness is as a filthy rags. And yet God still loves us. And so it's completely independent. So Malachi's point was clear. The people of Israel cannot say that God loved them because they deserved it. And much like us who know Christ, God doesn't love us because we deserve it, because we don't. But God has chosen to show love towards us regardless of our works. And so when you think about the people loving in Malachi's time... like these people, the way that they were living during this time, they had rebuilt the temple, they had rebuilt the walls, they had reinstituted temple worship, uh, they appointed priests, they made sacrifices, they read the law, they put on great, uh, great feasts, but God made all of that happen. It wasn't because of what they did. God allowed it to happen. God says, I'm going to allow this to happen. And so he showed them his love towards them. Now notice how God exalts the one and rejects the other. Look at verses 3 and 4 here. He says, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Esau's descendants, the people of Edom, couldn't change God's love. He says, I'm I'm going to leave their hill country as jackals of the desert. He says they're going to try to make something of themselves. In fact, you, you'll end up reading that when the nation of Israel came out of, uh, out of Egypt, and as they were traveling through, right, 
They didn't fight the Edomites because they're their, their, their cousins. God didn't allow them to fight them. But did you know the Edomites caused a lot of problems for the nation of Israel and still continue to cause problems for the nation of Israel? Where do you think those rockets are coming from and the rocks and everything? Right? Problems. And God says, I am going to destroy them. God can do that. It's his sovereign choice in all of that. Now, we look at that with our human wisdom and all of our good works that we like to offer up to God and say, well, that's not fair. Why do we get to be the judge? Why are we the ones who get to call the shots? We're not. God does. And so it's important to remember that God has sovereign choices that he makes, and hope is rooted in God's sovereign choice. God loves us because he is love. He loves us because of Christ, because of grace, because of his promise. Therefore, we have hope, a hope secured by the consistency of his character and the endurance of his love. Let's look at one last thing here. If we want to reignite a passion for God, if we want to reignite that that hope that we should have for God and God's love, hope is rooted in the assurance of God's love. Look what he says here in Malachi 2.5 here. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Israel had a very narrow view of God's love. They thought God could only show love by giving them stuff. Right? I mean, that's what they wanted. They wanted the the glory of Israel to come. They were anticipating the restoration of God's kingdom, and when it didn't happen the way they wanted it to, they lost hope and began to doubt God's love. Through Malachi, God assured his people that he still loved them. If they would just look around, they would see his faithfulness and grace everywhere. And that's what we have to do. In fact, later on, if if you're reading through the book of Malachi, you may have read about the book of remembrance, right? I think it's so important for us to just look around, see what God has done. What has God done in your life? What is God doing in your life? It's so easy for us to lose focus off of God's love when all we do is we put our eyes on our circumstances. And God's like, don't do that. Look what I have done. I have loved you, he says to them. And he says right here, verse 5, he says, Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Eventually, they would see the greatness and goodness of God as shown not just to them, but through his plan for all the nations around them. Have you noticed how all of the, 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 the world's eyes are turning towards Israel? Have you been noticing that more and more and more, right? That's where God's, God's focus is, right? God is going to be doing a, a, a mighty work, is doing a mighty work. And God's going to showcase his glory through the nation of Israel. And it's just going to be something to anticipate for and watch and wait for when it's going to all happen. So where are you? Where is your hope? Right? Have you grown indifferent and cold to God's love? Have you drifted away? Have you started into this whole thing of just kind of, you know, just religious type, service type thing, but there's no passion behind it? I encourage you to remember God's love, remember what he is doing, what he has done. Refresh yourself with God's love often 
I mean, there's so many verses that uh, you can look at. Like, what about Romans 5, Romans 8, right? 1 John chapter 4, right? All those things about God's love. Think about them, dwell upon them, meditate upon them, and I believe it'll be a great help to you. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.